We're moving into a new section in our study of this book. We'll be looking over the next few weeks, uh, verses 10 through chapter 9, verse 5. If you would join with me in prayer. Those of you who have been in my teaching for a while know that I usually spend the first message to sort of give you an overview of what we're getting ready to stumble into and, uh, and kind of review as it, in its context. So if you would, join with me in prayer, and then we will read the Word of God. Father, we bow before you. You who, King of kings, crowned with many crowns. And Father, I ask now that you prepare our hearts. Father, the things of this world would fade. And Father, we would look on the eternals. Father, be overwhelmed by your majesty, by your holiness, by your power, by your purpose, your plans. And that, Father, we would stand in awe of just the privilege of being children of you who spoke existence into being. Thank you, Father, for drawing us today. Thank you for your plans in our lives, the moment-by-moment details. And yet, Father, as I look at this... And I think about the integrity um, of your people. Father, I ask you, hold us accountable. And yet, Father, give us strength to stand, grace to stand in, and a passion for your things and not ours. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now I'm doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it in your ability. For if by the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not the ease of others and for your affliction, but by a way of equality. And at a present time, your abundance being a supply for their need. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need. That there may be equality. As it is written. He who gathers much did not have too much. And he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf. In the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal. But being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. Not only this, but he is also appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. 
which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches that glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love, and of our reason of boasting about you. For it is this superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I have boasted about you to the Macedonians. Namely, that the Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, we do not speak of you, but we be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Pretty impressive when you look at it in its context. But it does seem very uh, personal, extremely personal. One of the things that I have learned in my years and uh, those who spent time with me understand uh, my passion for the Bible. It is unrelenting. I would even go as far as it is never satisfied. It, it seems like every time I read, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was going back through some of my notes a number of years. I taught through the letter to the Hebrews and I was going back through some of my notes on that letter, and I thought, I wonder if he'll let me teach this again. <laughs> I don't think so. But anyway, you never know. One of the things that I have learned, those that know me, have known me for a long time, they, they know of my past. Uh, some would say uh, my past was a, a tad bit checkered. Uh, I think my past was a little more on the plaid side. Um, and um, I have uh, experienced and tried and endured many, 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 many things that the world says is satisfying. I can tell you right now that the Word of God is the only thing that has ever satisfied me. Okay? Scripture teaches us all we need for and from life. Did you hear what I said? For and from life can all be gathered from Scripture. And when I look at the darkness of life, I understand that we can get light from a real old book. 
And it seems, seems odd. And, and, and I have people ask me, how does one get comfort from the Scripture in the midst of the worst circumstances? And I could tell you how to do that, but you would laugh at me. Okay, um, because we believe that we are so intelligent, the human race does, that we can do these things. And we, if I do A, B, and C and take a Prozac, then I will be fine. Okay, um, I came out of that culture. It is my generation that's driving the bus right now. You don't want these guys driving, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I know a bunch of these guys, okay? Uh, but th- that's what we do. And then when people ask me, when you go through these great tragedies, how do you overcome? And I've told multiple people this over the years, and they look at me like I fell off the turnip truck. And, and it's comical at times because a lot of people say, well, he's a pastor, he's got his tie on, he's, you know, he's got nice shoes on and, and all the rest of it. What does he know about life? <laughs> I ask myself that on a daily basis. My question has now changed. My response is the Psalms. In case you were wondering, some of you don't know, that I call it Psalm Therapy. When it's the blackest that it can be, I opened up to Psalm 1, verse 1, and I began reading. I read out loud so that my ears can hear what my mouth is saying. The book of Psalms is set on praises to God. And through my blackest days, I think Psalm 15 is the farthest I've ever got. I had one opportunity. Some of you remember Henry Tech. Henry was my hero. Uh, He was a survivor of Bataan. And when he was on the Bataan death march, he knew that the Japanese would take his Bible or just the humidity of the Philippines would cause it to disintegrate. And he said, if I have to memorize scripture, what should I memorize? And he memorized the book of Psalms. Okay, the whole book. And any time that when he was attending our fellowship, any time that uh, you quoted a psalm, he would tell you the chapter. Okay, and this is when he was in his 80s. His last time on this planet, his son had asked me to come up. He believed that father was going to die. And I took out my Bible and I began reading the book of Psalms to Henry. I got through the whole book, and when I finished the last psalm, he stepped before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you can tell me that my psalm therapy is crazy, but one of these days, you're going to see the person of that book, and you tell him he's crazy, all right? When will you turn? When will you find the tremendous comfort and peace that comes from the book of God 
we call the Holy Bible. Scripture is everything that it promises to be. It has never forsaken me. It has never led me astray. And it has never been wrong. It provides all we need for life and godliness. You know what that is? The temporal and the eternal. It deals with every single issue of life. It is extraordinarily practical, but it is also theological. We just came out of a verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be rich. Chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's theological. Okay, and there's times that we wrestle with doctrine. We wrestle with theology. Okay, and there's times when I look at theology and I'm I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. And it messes with my brain. I don't know. I don't know. You know, people's people come up to the pastor and say, well, what do you think about such and such and such? And such? I don't know. Well, I thought you, hey, dude, <laughs> I'm in the same earthen vessel you are. OK, there's things that God has showed me that I am clueless why he showed me. I don't know what that was for. OK, I mean, it's I'll give you a, a, a illustration of this. People ask me, what is heaven like? You know, they talk about trees that bear multiple types of fruit and ever living uh, streams of life. And you got the glory of God is everywhere. And you got gold is the pavement of the streets. You got doors that are one single pearl. You know, what is it like? I said, you know what I wanted for me? What is heaven like? It is sinlessness. And I don't know, I have any idea what that is. Everything that I have ever endured has been touched by sin. And I do not know what the absolute absence of sin is. Okay? So why do you show me that, Lord? I don't know what that is. I can't explain it. I can tell you it exists, but I don't, I don't know. I don't have any idea. So there's times that you look at things of God in theology... And it just makes your brain hurt. That's all it does. And you know what? There's times that the Bible does that. I watch people over and over and over and over and over and over. And it goes on and on that I am going to master the book. And you know what? That's not what you've ever been called to. You have called to allow the book to master you. You can't master this thing. I went and looked at my notes in Hebrews and said, how feeble was that? You know, and I, I worked hard at Hebrews, but that was one of those that you just sit there and go, wow. <laughs> the Bible presents some mysteries. And some parts are just plain and simple, straightforward and practical. And we are in a plain, straightforward, practical text in verse 10 through chapter 9, verse 5. Okay? Very practical. And it is the single greatest, most favorite topic that Christians prefer to discuss among anything to do with God. Money. 
We all like to talk about money and we love it when we can just immerse ourselves into the deep things of giving to God. Okay. What we have right here, beginning in verse 10 and following, is what I call the integrity of stewardship. The integrity of stewardship. Okay. But the foundation here is the whole idea of our giving. I've already dealt with this. We've been in this topic now since, I think, May. That uh, giving has nothing to do with the tithe. Uh, you just have, you have to get back online and go back through all of that. It has nothing to do with the tithe. Giving is from the heart. How does God lead you? Okay? The whole idea of giving in the body of Christ, the, the church is for spiritual causes. It's spiritual causes. I get information weekly on, quote-unquote, stewardship drives. How to raise money for your parking lot, for your roof, for your light fixtures, for your windows, for your doors, for your carpet, for your chairs, for your... Okay? But it has to do with the funding of the kingdom. The eternal enterprises that the body of Christ is here to represent. I look at it this way. Investing in the eternity. How am I doing with that? The giving to the church. The church has to carry out its ministry. God left it here for that reason. And uh, regardless of what part of this planet you're on, it takes money to carry out that ministry. Okay? Uh, if you go back and you look at the things that we are involved in as a fellowship, we focus on the nationals, the guys who are like-minded as we, who are worried more about the book than anything else. We find those guys and we invest in them. They are in their country. They know their languages. They know their traditions. Okay? And, you know, when you tell a joke or a, an illustration and you use a Corvette in Russia, they don't know what a Corvette is. Okay? They never did get it, and I learned a very valuable lesson. Okay? I also know that the Russians don't like me to have my hands in my pocket. I know that the Russians do not like me to lay my Bible on anything but the pulpit or your lap. Okay, so you go, you learn these things. All right. I know that the Russians, it is dishonoring to God to pray sitting. Okay, that's their culture. You know, I'm not going to sit there and fight over this. I mean, they have women who wear head coverings. If they are single in church, their head is exposed in church because that means they have a husband. All right. But one of the amazing things about the Russian believers is, is that if you give them the biblical text for it, they just do it. They're not saying why. Is that historical? Was that cultural? Was that a Jewish thing or a Gentile thing? They don't do any of that stuff. All right. That's what it says. No problem. And you're like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> what do you mean I don't have to defend it? How does the body of Christ meet the needs of its people? We have two chapters, eight and nine. That's what this 
is the focus of. Okay? But one of the things that I find fascinating is, is that verse 10 through chapter 9, verse 5, is dealing with the integrity. And we'll get into this deeper and deeper as the weeks go by. All right? What does it look like? All right, and everybody in this room can tell of a time when a quote unquote church leader or system or something had an integrity problem. And anytime you talk about money in the body of Christ, people glaze over. You know, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's fundraising. I don't care if it's contributions. Uh, people get offended by it and and i've seen it you know and i find myself at times having a situation when i need some money and i i'm afraid to ask for it all right i remember when we moved we used to be downtown and they were trying to get us out of town because they wanted the tax base Okay, and um, so they offered us this building. At that time, it was the building department. Okay, and they came to us and they said, we will trade you because we owned our building. And we will trade you and we'll give you $70,000 and you move. So I met with the elders and we were discussing it. Uh, several of us have construction backgrounds and we were looking, okay, what can we do with $70,000? And all the rest said we hadn't come to a conclusion. And about a, two weeks later, they came back and they said, here's the deal. We will give you that building and $100,000 and, and we just trade straight across. So I went back to the elders and we sat down and we started look, getting us a little drawings of paper and what can we do and here we came up and looked at this building it's full of cubicles and all kind of weird stuff and so we were going through it all right here's what we're doing all the rest of it and then i get a call back from the guy okay and he says we'll give you a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and and trade you straight across we haven't even talked to the congregation all right we ended up with $225,000 and 120 days to get done what we needed to get done. Okay. There was no Stuart drive. Okay. We had money left over. And, and I'd like to tell you it was our plan, but it wasn't. We were scratching our heads trying to make a deal. We were ready to go at 70. Okay, we didn't have a a petition. We didn't have a a promise note. And that's the way God does it, people. Please understand that. Anytime you ask for money, you'll hear this. That's all they ever do is ask for money. I don't. I've had people ask me, why don't you teach on the tithe? Because there is no such thing. Pay your taxes. Okay, but there is no tithe. Well, what should you give to church? Whatever God puts on your heart. Sometimes he'll trick you. He did that to me one time. I had a ten and a hundred. And the guy 
was looking for some money, and I reached in my pocket, so I gave him my $10 bill. I handed it to him, went out to lunch, thought I had $100, and I had 10 And you're like, well, I was very gracious, wasn't I, Lord? <laughs> the church is criticized by unbelievers and sometimes by believers because they seem to be constantly asking for money. You know what, and I am sensitive to that. I have seen uh, here in Castle Rock the, the perversion of that. Um, it's, it's tragic. And we know, um, we know, and in, in, in our, just our lifetimes, we have seen multiple con men. When a con man in a church comes through, it's marched through all of the news. We make sure that we identify them and they get put all over television so we all get to see it. Uh, I have watched um, several people. Uh, I had a friend of mine took a church in Albuquerque and uh, they had a, a yearly budget of $63 million. Okay. And uh, had this huge campus. That's the only way I could describe it. Uh, he called it, my buddy called it the mall. Okay. And it was, and it was built. This church built it that way. And uh, when he got there, he says, wow, man, these guys got a budget of $63 million and they're $22 million in debt. And they gave nothing to missions. And I said, well, how do they do that? He says, well, they take the leadership to Pebble Beach every year. And I said, can I come and volunteer? <laughs> just just one time, I'll shoot 18 at Pebble Beach. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but did you see what I'm trying to get at? I, I see it. I did, Please, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, just because it's got a cross out front or a church name on the front of it, all of a sudden it is this holy place. So I, I see this a lot, and I, I have several illustrations that I can think of right here in Castle Rock right now. But, but one of the things that I think you need to understand is it's just missing ethics. It's just missing ethics. I was listening to a pastor describe he's going back to the bank for the fourth time. They were supposed to be in their building in July. Uh, they're hoping to get a temporary CEO by the middle of this month or first of next month in they keep going to the bank to increase their loan. And you just sit there and you go, how do you do that in, in good conscience? We all know religious leaders who have become rich by the giving of the poor people. And that is the tragedy. The numbers that I have seen are tragic. If you read that book, you will see some of the numbers that are sitting out there. Remember, this book will be the, the conference that set this book off begins on the 11th on Grace to You. Uh, it's nine o'clock here if you want to hear it. I have seen pastors who live extravagant. I had pastors look me straight in the eye and say, well, what you do is about five to six years in the Baptist convention in Colorado. And then you move down to Texas because they pay better. A friend of mine has been preaching, had been preaching. He's in glory now. I've been preaching in Texas uh, for conferences for almost 30 years. He says it used to be in Texas that you were successful in the ministry if you got a Cadillac. And he says, but now you're successful in Texas if you have a Bentley. 
And I thought, wow, that's, a, that's tough. I have seen churches after churches after churches, Christians after Christian after Christian, who are wasteful in their spending. And we should be sensitive to that. And I am sensitive to that. Um, you know what? I, I, there's a church here in uh, South Denver right now that uh, takes their offering at the beginning of the worship service, and it's a time of badgering. I've heard it multiple times. He does have a nice Harley. He rides his Harley up on the pulpit and tells them they need to give more. So if you see me on my Harley, (laughs) cough up the cash. (laughs) It's come-ons, man. It's gimmicks. Get the money. It's done by manipulation. You see it on television. Put a little starving child. Look, $20 a month. They pull on your heartstrings. All that is manipulation. When it's all said and done, all of that's bad. And you know what the tragedy is? It's unbiblical. But it does not change the fact that God has designed giving as a central expression of our Christian lives. This would be that phrase that we always keep saying we struggle with. It's God's will. (laughs) What's God's will? You give. Well, but that... We've already been through it. It is a means for advancing His kingdom. It is a means of glorifying His name. It is a means of meeting needs. It is a means of laying aside treasure in eternity. It is a means of receiving blessing even in this life. You will receive blessing by your giving. It is an important matter. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Who said this? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Everybody's afraid to answer. I think it was Ben Franklin. Wouldn't it have been Franklin? Thomas Jefferson, maybe. I don't know. No, it was Jesus. Okay? Let me explain that to you. When you receive, can I hear me? When you receive, you receive what men give you. When you receive. Okay? When you give, You receive in return what God gives you. Okay? Big difference. There's nothing wrong with the church asking for money. There's nothing wrong with the church collecting from people. And yet some people get upset. You know, when I started moving into this text, I said, this is when I'm going to get all the visitors because they'll all come in and say, this is a typical church. All they do is ask for money. And I was like, how do I get around this? And I just come cruising out of chapter 7 and all of a sudden chapter 8 and 9, you're like, oh, geez. (laughs) Maybe I can say, just read it yourself. We'll go right into 10. (laughs) And I've watched it. I've watched. I know a church right now that collapsed. Okay. They disbanded. Because the leadership said, instead of passing the plates around like we've always done, we're going to put a box in the back and people can put money in the box. And within a year and a half, the church was completely done. 
And I'm sitting there going, you're telling me that's a theological issue? But I've never heard to be. But that's what happened. I have watched turmoil. I know a good Bible church in Hamilton, Montana, who did the same thing, had a church split. That's nuts. But I watch us move from collection place. I know a church right now that allows you to mail in your offering. I know a church that also has credit card swipers. You can just pass it around and just tinka, tinka, tinka. And it goes through and put your little signature with your finger on the phone and then give it to the next chump. <laughs> God doesn't collect through credit. <laughs> I believe it is a high priority to express worship to God to give. And it should be central in the life of the church. That's why in your bulletin it says worshiping and offering. The command to give for the purpose of the Lord's work. And we carry forth what the Lord's work is. The issue of giving is stewardship. We hear those. I hear people tell me, "Ah, we're going to have a stewardship drive. What the heck is that? It is to be conducted in the church and it should be done biblically and it should be done with the utmost of integrity because it should be done to the glory of God. That's what this section is. It's very practical. And yet, if you really look at it, I give my opinion. And in this matter, you also see it's personal. He also says, I sent someone with Titus so that there's an accountability factor. And Paul gives us in these verses, in my outline there, I have nine points that if you look at, will cover you and protect you when it comes to integrity in giving to ministries. The stewardship program with real integrity must have these principles and don't get involved with them if it's not in the, what they're doing if it comes off, off of this text. The principle that comes out indirectly helps us form an integrity into what we give in our stewardship. And what does it look like? You know, when I took over as senior pastor of this church, the first thing I did was make sure my name is not on any of the accounts. I cannot go to the bank. I can't get in our savings account. I can't write a check. All right? Why? I can't touch the money. At all. And then you know what? There's been a couple times it's just as annoying as the day is long. But that's so well. Why? I'm above reproach when it comes to the money of this church. The principle that comes from this, we have to look at. Okay, if I'm specific of the context of this letter, then I understand that it is to the saints in Jerusalem who were extraordinarily poor. They had been over a year collecting money from the Gentile churches to send it to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. They were very, very poor. The pilgrims had come at Pentecost, had come to Christ and could not go back to their countries because they don't have a church. So they wanted to be in the body of Christ. They stayed in Jerusalem. Well, they have no livelihood. Not only that, the Jews who were in Jerusalem were anti-Christ. And if they found out you were a believer in the Nazarene, you were going to get a job. So the church had to take care of it. That's where you see all of these people who own things in Jerusalem selling them to help the needs of this church 
that had gone from about 500 to probably 20,000 in the course of about a week and a half. And you've got a mega church and nobody in the church has got a job. So Paul was out and about collecting. That's what the stages that is being set here in chapters 8 and 9. He writes with power of the Holy Spirit, but it is extraordinarily practical. It seems to be a very personal part of this letter, and yet it is specific to to Jerusalem. And yet it is specific to the Corinthians, and it is specific to you and I today. Remember, the first eight verses of chapter 8? Behavior of a devoted Christian. Look at the Macedonians. Even in their poverty, they gave. They begged to give. They begged to give. Verse 9 says, giving is Christ-like. Now we deal with integrity. What does? How do I protect it? How do I know it's going to be used? Because that's what everybody asks. It's an amazing section. It has to do with everyday, personal, practical, and it's helpful. How do we do this? And it is key. This is what we're moving into. How do you know you have integrity? I mean, giving is voluntary. Giving is faithful. Giving as one has. Giving balances in the body. Giving is submission. Giving is accountability. Is for accountability. It expresses love. It sets an example. And it overcomes covetousness. And when you see that in a ministry, then you should be fine. When you see that in the body of Christ, you should rejoice. Because I see churches today who can't get a majority out of those nine points. We can measure all future appeals that will come to you. Okay? I get them all the time. We have a, a church uh, website that has a uh, an email address on it. I have two email addresses. And I get please um, weekly, m- multiple times a day for quote-unquote ministry. Okay? You guys know my standard for ministry. How do you handle the word? Period. I don't have to move anywhere from that. How do you handle the word? Okay? Well, but shouldn't we? No. How do you handle the word? We can measure them all by this text, verses 10 through 9, 5. Okay? For every parachurch organization, every ministry that comes down the pike, whatever it is. You know, I know guys right now who ride motorcycles and they call it a ministry. All right. I love riding motorcycles. It ain't a ministry. Okay. It's a blast. (laughs) But it ain't. It ain't a ministry. I like shooting guns. I would not classify that as a ministry. Okay? I like eating salmon. It's not a ministry. Okay? Please get some of this. You know, well, what about the poor, starving children? What about them? Is, is that what the church is here for? 
feed starving children? I mean, it happens. We have, what, four orphanages that we support in Russia? And part of that is feeding them. But you know what we feed them? The Word of God. We want to see them in eternity. Okay? Out of that, other things blossom. And I don't have a problem with any of that. You know what is amazing about these is I've been going over this for the last couple of months, 10 through and following, is that text is so complete that it's mind-boggling to me. I mean, I could take that text, verse 10 through 9, 5, and I can hang in on any ministry that we would ever deal with and say, do they fit? And it's just that easy. It is giving. It is stewardship. Whatever you want to call it. But the thing is, is that it has to be done with integrity. We did Emmanuel's Child Stars. A little star, take half of it, put your name on there. And it goes to Russia. It goes with a Bible. It goes with produce because Russia runs out of produce about mid-December. They do not celebrate Christmas until mid-January. They get presents. And it is the local church that has this happening. And they get all these stars and they get all of this stuff. And it's coming from these people that they've never met who love Jesus. And on the star says, we pray that God will invade your life. And God loves you. And that you will come to know the blessings of knowing a holy God. Okay, and they get their Bibles written in their languages and, and, and their language and, and all the rest of it. And this is an amazing outreach for the local church. But the local church doesn't have the money to do it. So we do it. Okay. Over the years, we've always given 50 stars. This year, I asked you guys, let's do 100. Okay. And we did it. We gave 100 stars. There's going to be 100 kids in Russia in mid-July. I think it's the 17th of January is when they celebrate Christmas. And um, that are going to get a star from the people of this church. That's going to say there is an American in Colorado who loved me so much that they gave me a Bible. They gave me some pears and oranges and apples. And they want Jesus to save me. And they're praying for that. Now, let me tell you something. That's powerful. That's powerful. But that is the integrity of what we do. And if you want to see integrity in the giving, then you look at verses 10 and following through the first part of chapter 9. And you will see in these elements, these nine elements that I have as an ally, the integrity of stewardship. Okay? This is the Apostle Paul's heart right here. Remember, he reconciled the church in Corinth that had some issues. They were reconciled in chapter 7. Chapter 8, he says, let me show you what devote Christians look like in the Macedonians. And here's how they give. Even out of their poverty, they still beg to give more. You started over a year ago to take up a collection. Now then, finish it. Titus is confident. This is good. This is good. But here now, I will show you how much integrity to trust in us. Because we asked you this. I have to ask you guys this. 
That's tough. I don't like asking. All right? But there's things that are happening out there in our world. And it can be in our community. We're, we're trying to get, raise food again for our food pantry. We go outside of our community. We deal with people in different positions in life and what they're hurting with. And then we can move out of our state. We move out of our country. And there's more to be done. But know this. Whatever you do, I mean, you don't have to just give to us. Someone may knock on your door and you just feel compelled. Ask yourself, can they fall in to these nine? These nine points. It's that easy. It's that easy. Okay? And we'll move into point one. Giving is voluntary. Verse 10. Next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of giving. Thank you, Lord, that you put each of us in this country, in this state. And Father, we are lacking nothing. And yet, Father... Let us be good stewards of the massive treasure that you have blessed each and every one of us with. Lord, you have done exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could have ever thought or imagined. You've already. And yet, Father, you're not done. Let us press on to the upward calling of Jesus Christ. That souls may be reached. Hearts moved. And that, Father, you receive the glory for the awesomeness of the things you do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your book. Thank you for your spirit that indwells your people. Thank you for your precious bride, your church, and the amazing things that she has accomplished. And yet, Father, the struggles that she is still in. We never take it for granted. And Father, may we rest in the assurance that you will complete in us that that you have called us to as you conform each and every one of us into the image of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, may our love for you grow with every breath you grace us time our faith becomes sight. To you and you, my King. Amen.